Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallop headlong. Their, Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture sweeping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. O Lord, are are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and he's glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. He is to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy. In chapter 3... Um, from verse 16 to the end. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Thanks, Fred. When Carl asked me a few weeks ago, Fred, would you be able to preach on the 5th of June? I immediately said, sure, I would love to. But shortly after that, I had second thoughts. Am I really able to preach? What do I have to share at this moment? 
As most of you know, over the last years, my wife has struggled with a major anxiety issue. From one day to the next, all her confidence and her usual life enjoyment was replaced by overwhelming dark fears. And every day became a struggle for mere survival. Now and then, she has a few good hours, but then she falls back into it. Every morning, she is faced with unbearable stress in her body and a total confusion in her mind. And after six years of intensive treatment and swallowing a bucket full of various pills, not much has changed. And life has become a heavy burden. The extremes are somewhat uh, depressed, suppressed by medication, but that's about it. And of course that has affected me as her husband as well. Can I with any conviction preach about the power of prayer when we have been crying to the Lord for more than 2,000 days and nights asking for some sort of relief with hardly any tangible difference? Can I share with you about the joy of faith and the peace that comes as a fruit of the Holy Spirit when at times all joy is squeezed out and stress about having to face another day in this life ruins our peace of mind. I hope that you can understand my second thoughts about the invitation to preach. So I seriously considered to be relieved from my promise to preach today. But when I shared my hesitations with a couple of friends in the church, they both had a similar reaction. Fred, this is where the rubber hits the road. If there's ever a time to powerfully proclaim the gospel and the joy that there is to be found in the Lord, it is now. And we all can only benefit from that. So just do it. So here I am. Now, Carl mentioned last week an Old Testament prophet, without saying who it was, uh, someone who was committed to rejoice in the Lord in, uh, in spite of all circumstances, the most life-threatening circumstances even. Now, the Old Testament prophet that Carl referred to was Habakkuk, the man we read about this morning, what he had to say. There was nothing positive to expect in his life anymore. The Lord has told him, in your days, I'm going to do something terrible. So the future looked immensely bleak. And yet, says Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So that's our theme for today. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now to get an idea about what, what Habakkuk, Habakkuk is going through, I have to give you a bit of an introduction to his prophecy. It begins with Habakkuk's complaints towards God. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, yet you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you tolerate wrong? 
Why do you make me look at injustice? Habakkuk is, is, is really concerned about his people Israel. They have turned away from the Lord and God's laws are no longer abided to with the result that there is injustice all around. The wicked suppress the righteous. The rich suppress the poor. The powerful suppress the weaker ones. And Habakkuk had spoken about it many times. He had rebuked them severely and, and endlessly. He had prayed for the Lord to do something about it. To bring his people to repentance again. But to no avail. Nothing happened. He got no answer to his prayer. And now he doesn't know anymore. And this is his complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? He has waited for weeks, for months, for years. And then finally, the Lord comes up with an answer. We find that answer in chapter 1, verse 5. I am going to do something in your days. Judge watch. What does God say? He said, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. Now the Babylonians come from an area what we nowadays call Iraq. A feared and dreaded people they were. Their atrocities match what nowadays in almost the same area is done by Islamic State. They rape, they murder in the most cruel ways. They are ruthless terrorists without any mercy, without any consideration for people. They mercilessly burn down every village and town and city they come across. They are a law to themselves indeed. And nobody seems to be able to stop them. What? Christ Habakkuk? The Babylonians of all people. They are worse than whatever Israel became guilty of. And they are to be God's instruments to discipline his people. I can't believe this. That doesn't make sense. Oh Lord, how can you? So he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tell, tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. Now, as you can see, the prophet is full of why questions. That's human, isn't it? We all have them when things go terribly wrong in our life. And we cannot make any sense of how the Lord, who is supposed to love us, can allow such horrible things to happen. But Habakkuk does the right thing in bringing his questions to the Lord. And then he sits back and waits for an answer. So in chapter 2 verse 1 he said, I'll look what he will say to me and what answer I will be given 
to my complaint? And the answer comes indeed. But we cannot say it's any answer to Habakkuk's why questions, not even close. In chapter 2, the Lord merely insists that all injustice on earth, whoever is guilty of it, will ultimately be addressed. For he is a righteous God who cannot tolerate wrong. And in verse 14, that same chapter, it says, For the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But that's all answer Habakkuk gets. The Lord Almighty is still in control. And ultimately, all that matters on earth is his glory. And there will be people, God's people, who will know and see the glory of the Lord and praise him for it. No matter how tight how tough life on earth was for them. And verse 20, the conclusion and final answer to all our why questions is this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent for him. So feel free to bring all your struggles to the Lord and ask him all your why questions. But at the end of the day, it's not about my enjoyment of life on earth or about me being able to make sense of it but it's all about God's kingdom and God's glory eventually Habakkuk gives up his arguing with the Lord and he stops reasoning with his mind he has listened to the voice of God and believed his words and he has put his hand on his mouth and now stands in awe of the deeds of God. And I can say, oh Lord, you have given me a new perspective. I can see what you want to achieve. And even though it includes this horrific raiding and raping and robbing of the people you love, Habakkuk is finally at peace with God's plans. It's faith and trust in God that has given him peace of mind. What God does is always good. But is this all that we can say about this? Whatever God does is always good, so put your hand on your mouth and leave him do. And I don't think so. We have to say a bit more here. For here we come across an issue that is worthwhile exploring for us. And it comes down to this, that Spiritually, we can be at peace with something. But physically, we can't come along yet. Something similar as, as Martin just mentioned, that thankfulness. We'd like to be that, an emotion. But sometimes it isn't. There is no emotion of thankfulness. There is only worries. And then with our spirit, we can still say, yes, there is something to be thankful for. I'm going to praise the Lord for it. See, I think it's important to make this discernment. We know and we confess that God is in control and whatever he does is good. But that does not mean that we can experience that in our hearts straight away. Our spirit may be committed to follow Jesus, but we may struggle to come to terms with what's happening with our body. 
our body has its own emotions. And these emotions are not always under control of our spirit. And it can be quite a battle. And sometimes we have to talk to our own emotions, like David did in Psalm 131. He says there, I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, apparently his soul, his emotions were upset. But with his spirit, he addresses his emotions and brings them to rest. I've stilled and quieted my soul. Whatever befalls me, it is well with my soul. Now, to say that is a battle for every Christian in distress. To get a point clearly, let me give you your a speaking example. Say, God suddenly takes away one of your beloved ones. Your husband, your wife, or a child. Too horrible to even imagine. Now, as a Christian, you know and you believe that nothing happens by chance. Your, your spirit is convinced of that, but your body isn't. Your body will react in protest. Your nerves are stretched. Tension aches your body. There's a wound inside and it hurts. Should we call that lack of faith? Of course not. And let's never suggest that to each other when someone is struggling. It's not lack of faith. When you find life on earth tough, it is simply the reaction of the body. Your emotions are part of your body, your human flesh. And your spirit, supported by the Holy Spirit, knows I'm secure in the hands of God. But it isn't, doesn't keep your emotions of fear and guilt and even depression away from your body. Christians are human beings after all. And therefore, bad news can devastate us for a long time. Well, that is what we recognize in Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk has heard terribly bad news. The Babylonians are coming. And as a prophet, he accepts God's way with a believing heart. His spirit is at peace with it. And he can say, I stand with awe at your deeds. But what about his emotions? How does he feel as a human being? We can read it in chapter 3, verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Habakkuk experiences the nauseating gut feelings that come with fear. He trembles. His knees seem to be unable to carry him. And he is honest enough to admit that in his prayer to the Lord. And don't mistake that for a lack of faith of Habakkuk. It's not lack of faith. It's the reality of his flesh. And I just said Habakkuk is honest enough to admit that. But there's more to it. I believe that the Holy Spirit wanted us to observe this 
and to take a lesson from it. And that's why Habakkuk had to write it down for our encouragement. And we shouldn't think that spiritual people never have fears. They can have many. We shouldn't think that believers can never be afraid or that they will not get depressed. Have you never read the Psalms of David? He must be, have been terribly depressed at times. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls from Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouth wide against me. I'm poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, etc. Do you recognize the feeling? David is dead scared. Same feeling as Habakkuk has. Now that we mentioned Psalm 22, this was the very psalm that was in Jesus' heart when he suffered on the cross. He was dead scared of the evil powers that were unleashed to attack him. Was it lack of faith with Jesus? Should he just have walked faith for it? No, I'm fine. Of course not. Jesus was just as human as we are. And his suffering was real. He had a real battle with the weakness of his flesh. Habakkuk knew this battle. And God in his mercy makes sure that we know about it. So that we can be encouraged when we are in similar situations. Verse 16 again. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. Yet, I will wait. That, friends, is the yet of faith. In spite of all the facts that seem to deny God's control, yet I believe in him, my God. And it's this conviction that gives peace to the trembling Habakkuk. His soul is still upset. But his spirit is still before the Lord. And in Habakkuk, this is not just acceptance of inescapable fate. Sort of stoicism, as we call it. Whatever has to happen will happen, so I better make peace with it and um, move on. Now, this has nothing to do with fate. This is about faith. Living by faith. All the circumstances might give reason to tremble. For the flesh, there's only reason to fear. And yet, Habakkuk, the believer, expresses his trust in the Lord. Verse 17, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Desolate picture, isn't it? How can anyone live in such a situation? But Habakkuk confirms, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, even if there's nothing for my body left to enjoy. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This is an incredible statement, friends. A believer, a Christian, while trembling with fear, with no comfort left for his flesh, can survive on his faith only. He doesn't only receive strength to cope with difficult circumstances. 
But even more, he is able to rejoice in the Lord in spite of everything. And that's the secret of Christian joy. This is a joy, ultimately, independent from the circumstances. Why? Because it's a joy of the heart and the spirit. It's a joy inside. I will be joyful in God my Savior. God, he is my Savior. That is the core of Habakkuk's confession. He knows God as the God of his salvation. Habakkuk's life is saved already. And that is why he knows that ultimately there is no reason for fear anymore. His flesh might suffer. His body might be in danger. He might lose his earthly life. But his spirit is alive and safe, perfectly safe. For God is his savior. Now the point for us, of course, is do we know this joy? Don't say too soon. Oh yes, it's fantastic to be a Christian. Joy abounds every day. The Lord looks after me very well. Gives me all I need. He's very kind to me. And I have an eternal life ahead of me. Fantastic. It's so easy to say things like that when things go well. But don't confuse the enjoyment of life because of your favorable circumstances. Don't confuse that with joy in the Lord. The question is, can you maintain your joy as a Christian when things turn against you? What to do when we are trembling with fear? When our nerves threaten to overtake us? When our imagined future falls apart when our hopes of all kind of things that we have imagined for ourselves are not going to happen let's finally have a look at what Habakkuk did he opens his prayer in chapter 3 was Lord I have heard of your fame I stand in awe of your deeds O Lord renew them in our day in our time make them known in wrath remember mercy What Habakkuk does, he returns to what he knows about the Lord. He remembers how God delivered his people from Egypt by his mighty arm. How he performed many miracles to bring his people into the promised land. And he knows what to pray for. Lord, do it again. Show that same power, for you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a Tremendous comfort for God's people to know the history, that you can return to it, that you can remind yourself of it, and that you can remind the Lord of it. That's why you find in so many Psalms a retelling of the facts of Israel's history. It's a reminder of God's deeds in the past. That's always a source of comfort for God's children. That's why we have to know the story of the Bible. We have to be aware of the great facts of the church's history. We have to realize how short and insignificant our lives are and how great our God is. Time and again, he showed his control of history. We have a very powerful God, my friends. And there's only one way to be constantly aware of that, reflect on what he has done. 
in the history of his people Israel, in what Jesus did, what he did in church, how he called you into his kingdom. Keep things in that perspective. And then you can always look forward to the future with confidence. Habakkuk found comfort in reminding himself of God's work in the past. And in the glorious work of nature, also in this chapter, where God reveals himself day by day and shows he is around and in charge. And therefore, in spite of everything, Habakkuk can rejoice in the Lord. Now, we know so much more than Habakkuk. We know that Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, has come. The Word has become flesh for our salvation. The Holy Spirit assures us of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And if God has achieved this because of his love for us, what really do we have to fear for the future? Sure, we'll sometimes tremble with fear, but we are not overtaken by despair. On the contrary, we are committed to rejoice in the Lord. And he has made wonderful promises, and they are all true. So come what may, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He has made us more than conquerors. And so we can understand the wonderful trust that Habakkuk expresses in verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. We do not know what the future holds for each of us. But it doesn't make us apprehensive. On the contrary, we trust that we will be enabled to be joyous in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For if he is on our side, who can ultimately be against us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us from a time thousand years ago where Habakkuk struggled with very similar questions as what we have. And Lord, we thank you that you gave him peace in his heart and a commitment to rejoice in his Savior. Lord, help us to rejoice in our Savior day by day. And let it not be a, a cheap enjoyment of life when things go well, but help us to maintain that joy if life turns against us. Lord, bless us with your Holy Spirit who will help us to remind us of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he will do for us. Lord, we look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world where terrible things happen. But Lord, he will come as the judge of all and he will do justice. He'll come in righteousness and bring his kingdom of righteousness and peace that will last forever. Lord, hear our prayers and bring the day forward because of the many people who are suffering in this world, especially your children, who are persecuted for their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. 
and because of that have lost everything. They had, they enjoyed, and they uh, lost their life, some of them. Others ended up in prison. Others ended up in refugee camps. Oh, Lord, be merciful to this world. Be merciful to all of us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.